Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, and I am joined by editorial director Ben Delaney. Ben, how are you today? Doing just great. Thank you for coming on the, the Velo News Tech Podcast once again. We are back with another fine topic to talk about nerdy gear stuff. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about keeping your dome happy, uh, and it's all about helmets. Brain buckets, skid Brain, lids, yeah. cranium covers. <laughs> all the euphemisms. That's not a euphemism, is it? We'll call it a euphemism for today's show. Um, what we want to talk about today is, is not only uh, what's new and what's cool in helmet technology to keep your head safe, but also how we got here, where we've been. And, you know, Ben, you've been, you've been testing helmets and gear a very long time, uh, longer than I have. Often unintentionally testing <laughs> said helmets, but yes. Yeah, so we go back. I mean, helmets have been around for decades and decades, but I think we go back to like the 70s is where we would, as a bike industry, point to helmet number one being something we'd recognize today with a foam liner and a mm-hmm. plastic shell and uh you know bell gets credit for being first out of the gate there and and before that i mean it was a matter of leather hairnet and then really just a really thick quaff of hair to protect yeah. you yeah and yeah grease hair products yeah. all the, you know, some of these things are coming back <laughs> that's still what i use yeah. it's like my slip liner inside my helmet <laughs> have, have these been tested i mean that might be worth Seeing what the absorbency rates are for different thicknesses of hair and hair yeah, products. Different pomades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that I want to be the guy that has to test that. Um, but Ben, so you've been testing gear for a long time. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience. How did you gauge what a good helmet was, you know, 10 years ago? Sure. Yeah. Number of vents was like just some random thing that we'd all point to as like, well, this one's got 17 vents, so therefore it's much cooler, literally and metaphorically, than one with 10 vents. And um, yeah, and having more vents did improve performance in terms of, you know, it's like a modern core level. We'd be looking at a a poor aero helmet versus a a standard helmet. Mm -hmm. It's nice to feel the wind blowing through your hair. Yeah. And uh, some of those, that was an easy way helmets were judged. The Mm -hmm. assumption was, this plastic beer cooler on my head is safe mm-hmm. to some unspecified level of safety. Right. And then we would judge that based on how it looked and how it felt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because uh, we certainly as individuals didn't have a way to test the things. Sure. Um, one frustrating thing f- back then and today uh, is uh, still a, a lack of uh, agreed upon testing standards as to what makes safe safe. Mm. Um, I know, talking to guys and gals at helmet companies, they express frustration that uh, they can't claim that their helmet is safe because their lawyers tell them that they can't. Right. Now, presumably, like, the whole reason we're wearing these things is to be safe, right? right, right. Um, and when a bike is light or a bike is stiff, brands will talk about that all day long. Mm-hmm. But if you've noticed, you've, you've never seen a helmet ad talk about how it is safe or safer that mm-hmm. that word isn't used but that's the whole reason we're wearing these silly right. things on our heads you know <laughs> um and you know current testing c- consists you know testing is done whether it's the cpsc or eu or the, certainly the helmet companies themselves but a lot of that it consists of linear testing you, you mm-hmm. take a big weight and you smack it against the helmet and you see what happens right. um some of that see what happens is how much energy is absorbed by the foam or the whatever other material is in between your head and the Mm-hmm. Uh, heavy implement doing the whacking. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, the one interesting things with MIPS is it's looking at uh, rotational forces, which isn't something that's just largely tested as far as like a, a CPSC test. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still still work to be done. Yeah. But, um, 
So back then it was all about z- the vents looking good, uh, being airy, looking as go- looking as good as, as you good could as, with yeah. a. Right. piece of plastic we are still just head. a bunch of dudes wearing yeah. tights yeah, yeah. and ladies <laughs> and ladies yeah. yeah um things have certainly changed and and you know the safe thing is still a sticking point because uh part of the reason they they can't say that is because they can't test on live people mm. uh you know and so there's there's really no definitive answer here mm. because there's no such thing as live testing with a helmet until somebody actually crashes and you know you can't even then you can't uh, really really gauge that so um one of the things that has come out of all this testing is that rotational forces, like you said, have come into play in recent years. And we've seen things like MIPS and Choroid, and now Bontrager just recently came out with its wave cell uh, product. And, and that sort of changed the language of helmets because what, what, we, what was found was that, uh, yeah, you can, you can protect against a linear impact, something hitting your head straight on. Mm-hmm. But that is not how people fall down their bicycles so now we 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 have helmets that are light and airy but also feature things uh like slip liners uh and crumple zones and things like that what's been your experience with with any of those products have you ridden a mips helmet have you ridden a choroid helmet uh what are your thoughts on those sure i've ridden a few of these and again my testing is super simplistic in terms of uh what feels good Mm -hmm. That, that that is something I'm happy to test is right. how much air blows through. Right. And the choroid, uh, which is a design that Smith's use, um, Smith uses mm-hmm. and looks very much like a honeycomb, mm-hmm. uh, the air blows through it in a certain direction mm-hmm. one way. Right. Um, and it, they may have changed it recently, but the early helmets I rode, the honeycomb structure was oriented straight up and down. Mm-hmm. So no air went through unless you had your head straight down. Right. Like you were staring at the ground. So that mm-hmm. that seemed to me to be a miss. Mm-hmm. I certainly did not test the crash impact or the impact absorption <laughs> of said design. <laughs> so I can't, can't speak to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so with all these things, it's hard to tell like how much is, uh, you know, companies looking for a safe solution uh, that makes sense in one context and applying it in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense. Like mm-hmm. the... The, the Smith design, yeah, um, and how much is like legit um, technology, and that's like with MIPS. I'm going on the assumption that it is a good thing, or at mm-hmm. the very least, it can't hurt, right? Sure, sure. Um, but th- that is something that I, none of us, as just bike riders, are able to test. Right. I've got a concussion wearing a MIPS helmet. Mm-hmm. You know why? I fell down and I whacked <laughs> my my chin hit the ground first. <laughs> I was riding my bike down the neighborhood, and a dog jumped out in front of me, took out my front wheel. I yeah. woke up in the bike lane, like, what happened? Yeah, I, yeah. The helmet was, you know, completely untouched, yeah, right. but my, I was out cold. <laughs> yeah. So, That's dang, mi- I need, a, like, a MIPS chin liner, a I guess. Chin MIPS, the chips. Yeah, yeah. The chips. Yeah. And the other, the other tricky thing about helmets is that uh, a lot of these uh, impacts, when, when we talk about what, what happens to your head during an impact, a lot of this is happening within milliseconds. I mean, this is, it's, not a, it's not something that's measured in, in seconds even. It's, it's a very quick impact, especially the rotational forces. And so when you hit the ground, your brain, uh, your body rotates and your head tends to stay, you know, inertia. It's staying in the same place until, you know, it catches up and then, you know, everything starts jiggling around essentially. And that's what these things are, are designed to counter, the, the MIPS liner and the, uh, the, the choroid and the wave cell. They're, they're basically trying to solve the rotational forces problem. And, and I think this goes back to why uh, helmet companies are hel- hesitant to say their helmet is safer or s- safe in general mm-hmm. is because really all we're doing is we're hedging our bets, right? Like y- y- there's any number of things that you can hit, any number of ways you can hit it, 
your your helmet is only going to go so far, just like any other piece of protective gear. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more closely about these uh, over the course of this podcast and um, and talk a little bit about what these technologies are doing, why you know you should pay attention to them, and and how you can make the most informed decision if you are going to go buy a helmet. Sure, I just like to maybe this would be a good place for you to explain what WaveCell is, mm-hmm. or even what the MIPS liner is for right. people who aren't familiar with right. these. Yeah, and I can I can give you the quick rundown, and then we'll, we'll, what I'll do is I'll cut to earlier this year. I went to New York City to meet uh, the folks who actually designed uh, WaveCell, and and they gave me a really good understanding of how a lot of these systems work. Uh, so we'll cut to that in a moment. But just to give you a quick rundown of the systems that are out there, uh, the one you've probably heard most about is MIPS. And MIPS is essentially a, a slip layer, which means that there's two uh, overlapping uh, layers of material. And when you hit something at, a, at an angle or, or whatever, it, uh, those layers slip sideways. And that is what's essentially dispersing those rotational forces. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's pros and cons to that, and, and we'll get into that in a moment. Um, that's one way, one way to get rid of those rotational forces in the first microseconds of a, of a crash. Another way is choroid. Choroid is, like you said, the, the honeycomb material. And choroid's whole thing is, is dispersing uh, the impact forces over a wider uh, surface area so that they don't, hit your, they don't impact your head as much. There's not as much of a slip layer effect there. Um, and that's where wave cell comes in. So wave cell does a lot of the same things that choroid does, right? It's a honeycomb type structure uh, that absorbs uh, forces over a wider uh, surface area. But also uh, it's, it's got like a crumple zone effect. It's like kind of like when you step on a cardboard box, right? And not only does it go down, but it also sort of goes sideways. So mm-hmm. it's like a, 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 a diagonal motion almost. So wave cell essentially solves the, the direct impact forces as well as the rotational impact forces by the, having that crumple zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are pros and cons to that as well. In choroid, you already mentioned one of them, which was, was venting was an issue. We'll talk about wave cell in a moment in my experience with that this year. Uh, but in essence, all three of those systems are trying to solve the same problem, which is to keep forces away from your head in, in the event of a crash. Now, like I said, I went to New York City early this year. I talked to the folks who actually designed WaveCell, uh, and, and one of them is a, is a medical professional. He's a surgeon, and he talked a little bit about how the brain moves in the event of a crash. Let's hear what he had to say. Okay, so we'll start with an easy question. Who are you? Steve Mady. And what do you do? I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Okay, so you're, you're here with us in New York City uh, for a specific reason. You didn't just wander in. Uh, what's, your, what's your role in the, the development of WaveCell? Well, there's two reasons. I was born and raised in Long Island, so I'm okay. back here to visit some friends. Yeah. And, um, you know, I came here for the opening of WaveCell, which I developed with Michael Botline. Okay. And what, what was the development process? Where did, uh, where did this all come from? Um, I think we started about 17 years ago on doing everything. We, Michael and I have collaborated together in research and development for 25 years. We were both in Iowa together, and then we both moved to Portland together. He's a PhD, I'm an MD. And we've developed a number of technologies through the years which have been commercialized to help people after they've been broken. Mm-hmm. So plates to fix bones, uh, plates to fix ribs, slings to fix the pelvis if it's been broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and we meandered down the path of brain injury and decided that you know we couldn't do anything once the brain was broken but maybe we can do something to protect it and so 
through that, we looked at a number of different materials that we thought would be helpful. First, we, first we got a, a very good understanding of how the brain is getting injured, and then we started looking at materials that would prevent that from happening, and that process took us to where we are right now. Now, I'm curious, in the, in the course of your research, um, you know, not all brain injuries are the same and not all brains are the same. Now, I noticed out there that there's no kids' helmets. Uh, is there a reason that WaveCell wouldn't work for a kid's helmet, or is there any difference? No, WaveCell will work great in a kid's helmet, but as I was, as explaining to some other people, um, we wanted the first release of WaveCell to be really as good as we can make it. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to control the process, we wanted to control the quality, um, we wanted to release it and then the, as a first step and then take the next step mm -hmm. after that. Let's talk a little bit about what's actually happening to the brain uh, when, when a, a collision like this occurs and, and essentially what wave cell is supposed to be addressing. What's, when, a, when a cyclist falls, cra crashes, and their head impacts the ground, what's, what's happening inside? What's happening to the brain? So the important concept to understand is that it's counterintuitive that the brain doesn't just slosh back and forth within the skull. That's a counterintuitive thing that I really didn't think about until we started thinking about brain injury. So the brain is actually in a fluid-filled vault in a skull that doesn't really move a lot when you hit it. So if theoretically you could hit the skull head-on in a linear fashion with no moment of inertia or no moment of rotation, the brain would not hit the skull wall. That's really an important point that's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. However, any little variation off what's called the normal or the perpendicular to the center of gravity of hitting something will cause a moment and you'll have a spin. And when you're doing 20 miles an hour and you have even a little bit of moment, now the skull will start to spin where the brain doesn't want to because the skull has gotten a force from the outside that the brain hasn't seen. So typically a bicyclist is going along and Newton's laws dictate that a body in motion stays in motion. Well, when the brain hits, the, when the head hits the ground, now there's a new force on the skull but not on the brain. So now the skull starts to spin around the brain and create shear. Mm -hmm. So it's the shearing that causes the injury in the head. And it, depending on the force, where you're hit, how much spin is there, it can be anything from a mild thing that you wouldn't even notice to something that's catastrophic that would be instantly fatal. Mm -hmm. And this all happens very quickly, right? I mean, this is not something that happens over the course of a second. Fractions of milliseconds. So, And so the, the wave cell is essentially uh, taking those forces so the brain doesn't. Exactly. It's taking the rotational forces so the brain doesn't see as many of them. And I think that's an important point, too, to think about is even if you don't, you know, fracture a skull or, you know, things like that, you can still uh, endure forces that, that can damage the brain, and that's what this is all essentially trying to prevent. Yeah, well, most, most crashes don't result in skull fracture. Most, all, all crashes result in some degree of rotation to the head. Now, it's important to understand that even a linear force can cause rotation to the head, just like an angled force can cause um, rotation to the head. They both can cause the head to rotate. Mm -hmm. So it's a little like, the way to understand it is if you drop a lacrosse ball straight down on the ground in, in, a, in a perpendicular direction, it'll come back up without spinning. That's a straight linear force that doesn't cause spin to the lacrosse ball. If you drop a football on the ground and the point hits first, that's still a straight linear force, but now it flips the ball. 
So linear forces can cause a spin and angled forces can cause a spin. Now, in the course of your research, you've been at this for 15 years, I 15 or 17? 17. 17. Uh, and I assume you guys have uh, researched other uh, solutions out there, like MIPS and choroid and things like that. What is it about things like uh, MIPS, which is a slide, slide plane kind of liner, uh, how does wave cell differ from something like that? So we've actually tested um, things like MIPS, which are slip layers. That's the original thing that we went after when we first started looking at this. We also um, tested uh, cellular structures. Um, and um, we noticed that there's limitations in, in slip liners and there's limitations in cellular structures. So when it comes to cellular structures, they don't really shear on themselves well. They're really good at absorbing linear impact, but when you come in at an angle, they're very stiff. So wave cell is specifically designed to be very strong when you come in straight on, but slip on itself. Slip liners, we notice that as you increase the energy of a hit, they start to stick more and more and become less and less effective. So at lower energies, they work real well, but at higher energies, they stick and they perform the same as foam helmets. So wave cell is designed to take higher energy impacts and still shear on itself and still deflect more forces away from rotating the head. So, it, I mean, is it accurate to say that uh, the wave cell is essentially combining the functions of both of those things, like the slip liner and the... the That's what my cohort, Michael, has alluded to several times. Uh -huh. um, but again, it's, I think that's just a product of the, of the path we took to try to find which materials would be really good in linear impact and which materials would shear on themselves. Speaking of the materials, what is wave cell made of? Plastic. Okay. And how did you guys arrive at that as the material? I mean, were there other considerations uh, besides plastic that might have worked for this? Probably hundreds of different considerations. So, I mean, we had looked at paper, we had looked at metal. We had a, we had a honeycomb metal that we thought would really be good. Um, but too heavy, too expensive. Um, we looked at so many different types of materials, literally hundreds of different materials, but each material we looked at, we, you know, we have a, a battery of tests that we put everything through, we have a series of boxes we have to check in terms of what we want the outcome to look like, and it wasn't until we developed our own material that we could sort of get to check all the boxes. How did you guys arrive at uh, cycling helmets and not something like football helmets or, or hockey? What, what was it about cycling that was intriguing to you? So we've, when we develop products, um, we've always partnered with a larger company for distribution and co-development because they have different, they have different skills that we don't have. Um, and, and Trek turned out to be a, a really good company to partner with in terms of filling in the gaps of the things we didn't know about mm -hmm. bicycling helmets. Mm -hmm. Could this wave cell material be applied to other uh, sports, other situations? I mean, is, it, is, is there anything unique about the way a cyclist's head will move in a crash versus like a football player going you know, helmet to helmet in a, in a football game? It's all the same. So wave cell can be used in any type of impact scenario. Mm -hmm. Certain types of sports lens, lend, the helmet has to lend itself to repeated hits. Mm -hmm. um, and that's... That, that represents another advancement forward in terms of where we are, but there's a number of sports right now where it could be used, and a number, number of different helmet applications where in its current form it could be used, like, like motorcycle, for instance. Sure. And you also mentioned, uh, you know, you looked at other materials and there was a honeycomb metal. I mean, is, uh, is the reason that the, you landed on plastic uh, mostly because the constraints with cycling is it has to be light, or, you know, is there, is there definitely other materials that could have been better at this? Um, I, I don't know if there's a better material we could have used because I think we tried them all, mm -hmm. right? So 
it has to be, it has to be, it has to breathe. It has to be light. It, it can't be overly expensive. It has to fit a number of different things. Um, so, you know, within the constraints of where it has to be, we, we arrived at, I think, with a really good solution. Are we going to see a point where EPS foam is no longer used at all? Um, I don't know if I can make that leap just yet. Um, right now we're using it because of, again, certain constraints. Um, I, I mean, I, I know we've tested without EPS foam, um, but in terms of the design of helmets, the features that go along with them, EPS is still used. It, it can definitely be used without EPS, and it can function extremely well without EPS, but we're not there yet. Sure. What am I missing? Is there anything about WaveCell that people need to know about that I haven't covered? Uh, I'm not sure. There seems to be a lot of information that was released today, yeah. so I think, <laughs> I think the, the airwaves are flooded with it. Sure, sure. Cool. Hey, I appreciate your time. Yeah, no Thank problem. you very much for explaining it. Yeah. All right. All right, so I'm in New York City with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what's your name again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here with Jens Voigt, uh, and we're, we're here to see the new WaveCell uh, helmets from Bontrager. And Jens, I wanted to talk to you because you have experience with, uh, you know, in your race career, you've, you've had bad crashes and you've, uh, you've had concussions. And so um, I, I want to get a sense of what, uh, when, when you first heard about WaveCell, uh, what was your initial response? What, th what ran through your mind in terms of your, your race career and some of those head injuries that you had? I mean, uh, if, you, if you've had experience with other helmets in the past uh, not protecting you, what was it about WaveCell that got you excited? Clearly the safety factor. Um, I had a pretty terrible crash in 2000 Tour de France coming down the descent of the Petit Bernard. Um, I believe we did about something like a little more than 50 miles, 80 kilometers an hour. And I face planted and just sliding on my head. And I had not only a concussion, concussion. I also had like a little uh, hematoma in my brain, not too big, like I don't know an inch or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it took a very long time to actually heal and recover. Um, my wife thinks it took me almost a year to be perfectly myself, my normal self again. Um, and uh, I'm pretty much convinced that with these new helmets, the damage would have been a lot, a lot less. Mm -hmm. um, I had a teammates, I remember a Frank Schleck once, he crashed in the tour of the bus country. So we wait for him because he was high up in, in, the, in the GC. We waited for him, got him back to the peloton, and then he goes, hey, um, what race are we in? Mm. And oh, that is not good. Yeah, if, right. if you're racing Ooh. like the fifth stage and yeah. you don't remember the name of your race. So um, I'm really uh, happy that uh, we can increase the security, and I can't wait for the kids' helmets to come out so I can get my kids on these helmets. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about when you first started riding, uh, what helmets were like, if, they, if you even rode them at all. Well, I started riding in 1980, 1981. So back then, we had this little uh, leather straps on our head. I don't even know the proper English name for them anymore. <laughs> the uh, hairnet helmets? Yeah, uh, like, uh, so we called them a Sturzkappe. Uh -huh. That was the official uh, 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 German word, Sturzkappe. Uh -huh. um, and that was basically uh, the only thing we had for uh, at least 10 years. And um, then uh, in my early amateur years, helmets came across, and uh, when I signed my first professional contract, I was happy to have um, a lot of Australian teammates. And in Australia, it's the law mm -hmm. that every person 
a child, an elderly person, a pro cyclist, whoever gets on a bike has to wear a helmet, even if you just ride down the street to get some grocery. Mm -hmm. um, so they were always used to wear helmets. So then I started wearing helmets every single race. Mm -hmm. um, and helmets are, they okay, they're not heavy, they got air ventilation, they don't really uh, bother you at all, right? Um, after like a week, you don't even think about sure. it anymore, you have them on your head. And then uh, later in my career, I had a friend of mine in Berlin who had a, like a, a crazy, stupid, unnecessary accident, like, you know, got, got hit by a car in, in a really bizarre uh, way, but he was perfectly fine except his head, and he didn't wear a helmet in training. Mm -hmm. So now he's handicapped, he can't work anymore. I mean, at least he can talk, he knows his name and all yeah. that, yeah. but he's unable to focus for like more than two or three hours or yeah. to work. Yeah. And all that could have been prevented with a helmet or even with a good helmet mm -hmm. or a better helmet. And um, so I started wearing helmets more or less anytime I'm on the bike. You know, yeah. when I uh, go training, uh, when I go uh, racing, I always used to have a helmet on. Mm -hmm. Even even going back, I mean, not going back too many years, uh, helmets weren't even required in the peloton at certain stages, right? So were you, uh, and, and were in your experience, were other pros resistant to helmets when they were first required? Uh, or did you just sort of adopt it and say, this is, this is a benefit, there's no reason not to wear it? Well, I was always... Um, um on the side of people going, yes, of course, we all should wear a helmet. We had uh, some, some bad crashes, some, some bad uh, uh, or examples of very long recovery after crashes. Um, we, we, we had people losing uh, uh, their life, mm -hmm. I mean, Casatelli or Kivilev in Pyrenees. Mm -hmm. So there were enough reasons to, yes, we all should wear helmets in races. Um, it was, probably generation conflict, I yeah. guess, the older ones, but oh no, it's our freedom, it's our choice. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, whenever we had a talk, I said, look, but don't you have children and a wife and right. a partner? Don't you want to go home to them happy and in one piece? Right. There's no logic reason at all. I remember some of the photographers were complaining because then the pictures would be less dramatic, the, the, the helmet would throw a shadow on the face, but come on, <laughs> you know, it's safety. So yeah. um, I was pretty happy when they enforced the rules so that everybody um, had uh, to wear a helmet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Seeing that, I had a crazy teammate, or not crazy, uh, Frederick Wonkasan. He would start the race with a helmet, and like 15 miles to go, he would, like, I was a Neo Pro that year, so he would say, hey Jens, get my helmet, bring it back to the car. He felt <laughs> he wouldn't take the sprint serious. If he would wear a helmet in the sprint, Interesting. he figured, I, I'm not focusing, I'm not yeah. serious enough about it. I'm like, wow, yeah, good yeah. for you, but yeah, right. I do it the other way around. Yeah. I'd rather have a helmet in the end. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder how much of that is, is just in your head. I mean, you know, back, back when helmets first came out, they were really big. They were, you know, bulbous. Mm -hmm. And I wonder now that they're sleeker uh, and lower profile and better vented that, you know, that sort of mental angle gets eliminated you know it's it's still it feels fast you know and and that's part of the thing with this wave cell helmet you've got some experience with the wave cell helmet already which which one have you been wearing do you know i um did um some of the riding and testing with the, the race model mm -hmm. the model that the team is yep. gonna wear uh, yep. so then uh, we could give some advice yeah. uh, to the team um and yeah i absolutely uh, uh, liked it mm -hmm. and Really, it doesn't really feel different than any other helmet. You just know it's safer, it's, it's better for you, yeah. but it doesn't really feel much of a difference. Sure. It's like you say, it's, it's airlined, got whatever all the colors you want, it got the air ventilation you want, so um, it feels the same, 
it's just better and safer. Sure. And it doesn't feel any bulkier or any bigger. Like uh, no, because they took some of the foam e e EPS. EPS. Yeah, yeah, they took some of the EPS out and replaced it with the layer of um, wave cell. And so the overall size, I guess, it's pretty much identical. Yeah. And you were mentioning to me that you've so far you've only ridden it in kind of cool weather, so you can't speak to the, the ventilation yet. Yeah, no, we had uh, um, yeah, cooler, like fresh temperature. So yeah. I haven't had a chance yet to try it somewhere in the desert or in yeah. summertime. Yeah. So, but so far it feels the same like like uh, any other yeah, helmet. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I think we we're really happy with that. Awesome. Thanks very much for your insight, Jens. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Your name and your title. Tony White, I'm the engineering supervisor for helmets, saddles, and grips. All right, so we're here looking at WaveCell, and, and one of the things that becomes very apparent is uh, the message that EPS is outdated and has been outdated for a long time. And so we sort of knew that, you know, with things like MIPS coming along, Coroid, and now WaveCell. Um, how, did we, how did we get to that point? Now, you've designed other helmets, you've designed helmets with, with MIPS, and you've designed helmets now with WaveCell. Um, how did we get to the point where we, A, learned that EPS was inefficient as uh, a material for helmets, and B, that other uh, slip systems and choroid, things that move the head uh, in different ways, uh, were more efficient and, and better for, for preventing injuries? Yeah, I guess from, from our standpoint, first off, is that EPS isn't bad, right? It's still very good at what it does and what it's been designed for. Um, we definitely... What, whatever you're comfortable with, please do wear a helmet. Mm -hmm. um, but in regards to where it falls short, we've been spending more than four years, so about five years, doing a lot of research, going to conferences around the world, and just learning the landscape of what, what causes head injury. Um, we're lucky in, in one sense that there's, there's so much media attention on it, so there's a lot of research being done right now and what's most apparent is how important rotation is mm -hmm. to causing those injuries. So now we're starting to see um, maybe in the past, well, I guess in the past 10, 10 or so years, technologies that are designed to help mitigate that, redirect it, or absorb that energy, rotational energy. So that's kind of how we, we got into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you guys... Uh, have dealt at all with other uh, sports equipment like uh, football helmets, hockey helmets? Have you learned from, from those and have you also lent your expertise to those? That's an awesome question. So I can tell you that when I first set out my net of technologies to look at, um, I spoke to everybody from every industry mm -hmm. to try to learn. We, the conferences I go to have experts in football from different companies, hockey, lacrosse, basically everything. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, because to, all those, those technologies are very different and they have different purposes, but you can take bits and pieces of it. Mm -hmm. um, so we definitely reflected on that when we were beginning our kind of initial designs mm -hmm. with, with WaveCell. Sure. Um, so a lot of that is in, you know, it can, the way that it moves independently and shears and crushes, that's a super unique thing for, mm -hmm. um, in the, the cycling helmet industry. I'm curious if, uh, you, you know, we talk a lot about uh, rotational forces when we, uh, when we have cycling uh, crashes. Sure. Is that something that also happens in, in other sports or is this unique to cycling? It's, it, that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, nobody almost ever lands. You can't say never, right? right. I'm an engineer, so, yeah, yeah, sure. right, I can't say never. But 
you always almost always have some forward moment. You're moving, yeah, right? right? So you're not just falling straight up and down in anything that you do. Mm-hmm. So any any industry and any experts in any industry should be looking should be looking at rotation mm-hmm. as and, a, a primary uh, goal. And and when we say rotation. Uh, you know, it, you hit the ground and you don't feel your head essentially uh. twisting. So what, what are we talking in terms of a time frame with, with this rotational force? I mean, is it within milliseconds? Is it uh, the, the, yeah. you know, a second? That's a really, really detailed and awesome question. Yeah. So when we do our testing, the whole impact uh, duration will be about 10 milliseconds. So okay. it happens so fast. Mm-hmm. What's happening is... Yeah, you feel your head hit that ground and kind of get maybe get stuck a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but it's imparting in, instantly mm-hmm. a rotation to your brain. Sure. Um, and since it's well inside of you, mm-hmm. you don't quite, you, you can't feel it, right? Right, right? But it's there. Right. So, and and your brain, uh, your your head, I guess, has sort of built-in uh, protections itself, right? Like there's obviously there's the skull, but mm-hmm. in, within the skull there's there's another layer that That's right. that protects your brain. Is is wave cell in some sense? mimicking that protection system yeah i think any technology we you have to look at that the cerebrospinal fluid that's mm-hmm. inside of your brain mm-hmm. or outside of your brain between your skull and your your brain mm-hmm. um because it does offer a really fantastic buffer to any kind of jolts or motion mm-hmm. um you know it serves two purposes it keeps your brain afloat mm-hmm. so your brain isn't just sitting on your skull right. as also is yeah, giving you that the impact sure. protection so in a sense i mean that your skull essentially i mean if you're looking at a helmet and you're trying to mimic you know biomimicry which i hate to use that term but um, it's a very popular term yeah yeah so you, <laughs> you know yes yeah, so, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we won't touch that one right now but um you know in a sense you know if you're mimicking uh you know, you, the, the systems you have built into your body already for protection, EPS is essentially your skull. Right. And then wave cell becomes that, that cerebral. Yeah. So it does in the sense that we, you have the freedom of the motion, but we do also with the kind of the crumpling. I don't know if you saw those videos yeah, yeah. of the way it compresses and crushes and shears. Yeah. That's, that's really unique even if you look at what's going on inside of your head. Mm-hmm. So that's when it's doing that, it's actually absorbing mm-hmm. and, and, uh, getting rid of that rotational energy. Sure, sure. So that's a, a unique feature. Right. Now, uh, one of the things that we've also noticed is that all the samples that we've seen so far are that greenish yellow color. Sure. I, There's I some ha- gray out there too. I have to imagine that was on purpose to invite sort of comparisons to choroid. Now, what, what's the difference between something like wave cell and choroid that sure. looks similar and s- sort of operate on a similar concept, but there are very different animals? Well, first off, I can say that is not a uh, to invite comparison to choroid okay um it's a greenish yellow uh-huh. but um it was to, to make it visible so people sure. could see it and and want to want to ask questions about okay. it but honeycomb is uh, also a really good energy absorber um but the difference is the way honeycomb is normally used in a, in a helmet is it's contained mm-hmm. it's in a piece and is designed to absorb energy linearly linearly mm-hmm. that's why with uh, certain brands that use honeycomb technology they also have a rotational feature in it as well sure. a slip liner usually mm-hmm. um, this is unique in the sense that it has both of those capabilities in lin- the linear and in rotation um, and can absorb you know a significant amount of that energy mm-hmm. so it's basically combining the the slip and the linear into yeah. one package yeah i mean and then you also have if you look at the the egg video 
you can really see it, but you, you see those cells compress and move as well as doing the shearing. So all of those things act in, in concert to give us what we have. Okay. Uh, what am I forgetting about wave cell that people need to know? I mean, what were, were you got, you know, Bontrager has essentially called this a, a monumental moment. Sure. And, you know, for somebody reading this saying, oh, it's a green thing that goes in my helmet. Well, big deal. What's, what is it that we're missing here that's super monumental about this that we should really think of this as a big moment in cycling? Yeah. I, I am biased. I'm an engineer, so I tend to be data-driven. I think what's really unique is we're not just making these claims and saying, trust us. Mm -hmm. um, all of this data is out there in the world. Please be educated. Look, look at where these numbers are coming from. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that their research is uh, through an academic journal mm -hmm. that's been peer-reviewed by experts in the field gives you can give you some, some belief that People have been trying to poke holes in it because that's what the, the reviewers have to do. Sure. Um, so that should give you some, mm -hmm. some, some trust, I guess, a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that, that's what I think is unique. Please read that. Mm -hmm. look, go to Virginia Tech. Look at the ratings there. Mm -hmm. um, just, just be educated and mm -hmm. you know, let us help you sure. if you want to. So what's next now? I mean, do we see a, a moment in the future where EPS is not even used in helmets? Do we see uh, an advancement in fabric straps? What's, what's next for helmets? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. And of course, we're always going to be kind of pushing and working mm -hmm. further. I can tell you that WaveCell isn't going away, sure. um, that that's going to be in our product line for a very long time. And we're going to keep, keep pushing that. And we're going to keep working on those other things too. Mm -hmm. Okay. And at some point, uh, I mean, because WaveCell is a, a safety um, technology, I mean, do, are we going to see that licensed to other brands? I mean, yeah, so... Yeah. Um, what I can tell you is you'll definitely start to see this in, in other industries. They're going to be looking, looking to push it in, you know, things like snow and equestrian. Sure. There's a lot of, a lot of people that can be helped by this technology. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ben, we, we've had a lot of, uh, information thrown at us in this podcast. Uh, there's a lot of different technology now, way more than there ever has been in the past. Uh, EPS foam. It's probably not ready to go away just yet. It still does the job it's performed to do, but now we have all these different technologies like MIPS and Choroid and WaveCell. What's your takeaway from all this? I mean, it, it, is, it, is it useless to wear a helmet, or you know, what, where are you at with it? There's a lot of smart people, a lot smarter than I, have put a lot of work and research into these designs and technologies, and there's really no reason why you shouldn't clip one of these on your head every time you clip into your pedals. Mm -hmm. It's good insurance either way. I mean, even if the science isn't perfect, we are in the middle of a, of a vast uh, expansion and evolution of helmet technology that is only going to get better from here and protect your head better from here. Uh, you know, the arguments can go on and on and on because we, we can't say a helmet is safer, right? We can't say it's uh, safer than, than another technology, but we can say that we understand how the brain moves. And we understand that the helmet technologies that are going into these new helmets are addressing those ways that the, the brain moves. And I think that's a win. I think that's, that's a great way to hedge your bets. If you were a betting man going to Vegas, it'd be a, you know, it'd be a good bet to take. Yeah, anything that can reduce the forces coming up in your head is a positive thing. Absolutely. So put yeah. one on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you have questions about anything we talked about today on the podcast or any of the Velo News podcasts, please do feel free to tweet at me at Brown Tide Dan or follow me on Instagram at that same handle. You can also get Ben Delaney on Strava at Ben Delaney. Is that one word, Ben? Ben Dash Delaney. Ben Dash Delaney. Important dash in there, folks. Don't miss it. 
Uh, ben, thank you for joining me on the show today. Always a pleasure. Look forward to next time. All right, we'll see you all later.